Welcome to an audio stream from San Marino Community Church, featuring our own pastoral staff and various guest speakers. This summer, we've been working on the ways in which God establishes a foundation for our living. And this morning, we take a look at the story of Peter in Acts, the 10th chapter. And uh, it's actually a story that's 66 verses long, so I'm not going to read all of it, but selected verses. It is the longest narrative in that Acts of the Apostles. I invite you to listen for God's word as it comes to us. Now in Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of the Italian cohort, as it was called. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household, and he gave alms generously to the people. He prayed constantly to God. One afternoon at about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he clearly saw an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. He stared at him in terror, and he said, What is it, Lord? He answered, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa for a certain Simon who's called Peter. He's lodging with Simon a tanner whose house is by the seaside. Well, about noon the next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry. He wanted something to eat. And while, he was, while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the heaven open and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. And in it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. And then he heard a voice saying, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord. I've never eaten anything that's profane or unclean. The voice said to him again a second time, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times, and the thing was suddenly taken up to heaven. Now, while Peter was greatly puzzled about what to make of the vision that he had seen, suddenly the men sent by Cornelius appeared. They were asking for Simon's house and were standing by the gate, and they called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Look, three men are searching for you. Now get up, go down, and go with them without hesitation, for I've sent them. Then Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable for him. Can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who've received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they invited him to stay for several days. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Join me in prayer. And so, gracious God, this story comes to us through the centuries of the movement of your spirit from where it began to envelop the whole world. We come this morning and ask that you would envelop us, that you would quiet within us any voice but your own and speak to us as only a living God can. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. 
Sometimes it doesn't take very much. It only takes a small change in your perspective for a whole new world to open up. And the way we see others often determines how we interact with them, and in many cases they become kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. A changed perspective may be just all that's required for us to step outside our comfort zone. Now, every police officer knows that domestic disputes are the most dangerous calls to get. It's better to go into an armed robbery than it is a domestic dispute because you never know what's going to happen, and before you know it, both people can turn on you and become your assailants. Recently, I was called to jury duty, as all of us are, and I was elected by the jury to be the foreman on a case in Los Angeles County in Alhambra on a domestic disturbance that resulted in the arrest of a husband and father. Oh, the joys of jury duty. It was a different domestic disturbance that turned ugly some years ago, and the neighbors heard shouting and called the police. As the police cautiously approached the door of the home, they heard arguing and yelling inside, and then suddenly, out of the window in the front of the house came crashing a television set. So the police knocked on the door, and a man yelled from the inside, Who is it? The officer replied, TV repairman. (laughs) The guy started laughing, and he opened the door, de-escalated the situation. Humor and a little gentleness, the officer was able to gain entry and to regain some civility. Sometimes it's just a changed perspective that's needed for a whole new world of possibilities to open up. What really begins in Acts of the Apostles as a kind of domestic dispute between Christians as a Jewish sect within Judaism quickly turns in the 10th chapter into something that's much more universal and went on to change the world. A change in perspective. Several of us this summer had the chance to visit Scotland at the conclusion of a year of study in celebration of the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. We went back to our Presbyterian roots to learn about the transformation of perspective that occurred during the Scottish Enlightenment and how that changed the world. I've been reading Herman, uh, Arthur Herman's book, How the Scots Invented the World, the true story of how Western Europe's poorest nation created our world and everything in it. I've also been reading how uh, the Irish saved civilization. So, I, you know, it's... Arthur Herman is a professor or has been a professor of history at Georgetown University and George Mason University. He currently coordinates the Smithsonian's Western Heritage Program. His book is thoroughly researched, and the book makes some very bold claims about Scottish contributions to modern life. Here's how he concludes the book. 
As the first modern nation and culture, the Scots have by and large made the world a better place. They taught the world that true liberty requires a sense of personal obligation as well as individual rights. They showed how modern life can be spiritually as well as materially fulfilling. They showed how a respect for science and technology can combine with love for the arts. How private affluence can enhance a sense of civic responsibility. How political and economic democracy can flourish side by side. And how a confidence in the future depends upon a reverence for the past. End quote. In the book, he quotes Sir Walter Scott, who famously said, I'm a Scot, and therefore I had to fight my way into the world. Well, here's just a small example of the way the Scots have fought their way into the world. Just listen to some of these accomplishments and some of these contributions. In medicine, for instance, chloroform was discovered by a Scot who used it in dentistry and that led to anesthesia for surgeries. Penicillin was discovered by Sir Alexander Fleming and insulin by John J.R. McLeod who won the Nobel Prize in Medicine in 1923. The vaccine for typhoid fever, the first oxygen therapy, radiation therapy. David Livingston, the physician and missionary to Africa, to Malawi, from where Davidson Shifungu comes. Or take inventions in your home. The television, John Logie Baird. The refrigerator, William Cullen. The first electric bread toaster, Alan McMasters. More importantly, the flush toilet, Alexander Cumming. The pedal bicycle. The overhead valve engine. The telephone, Alexander Graham Bell was born in Edinburgh. The steam engine, coal gas lighting, Europe's first passenger steamboat and its first practical screw propeller, the first iron-hulled ship, the hot blast oven, the steam hammer, threshing machines. All of it as a result of the dedication to education in that country. Great universities like the University of Edinburgh and Glasgow and Aberdeen produced remarkable discoveries in science and technology and philosophy and economics. Adam Smith is a Scot, the wealth of nations. David Hume, a philosopher. In literature, they gave us Peter Pan and Sherlock Holmes and James Bond, who incidentally was played best, I think, by Sean Connery, who grew up in Edinburgh and when he was a boy delivered milk to local homes. Harry Potter, Robert Louis Stevenson as an author, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Ian Fleming, J.K. Rowling. They gave us Lipton tea, Listerine, Singer sewing machines. And I know you were thinking like me, it's pretty much Scotch whiskey and golf. But it's so much more than that. John Witherspoon and James McCosh both came from Scotland to Princeton University and helped to develop that university system along the lines of the Scottish universities. 
Witherspoon was the only clergy person to sign the Declaration of Independence. Sometimes a small change in perspective leads to a transformation of the way you understand the world and the way you live in it. Even Andrew Carnegie, Carnegie was a Scot. He famously said, the United States was Scotland realized beyond the seas. In John Knox's original book of discipline from 1560, he called for a national system of education. It was 80 years later that the School Act was passed and within a generation nearly every parish in Scotland had some sort of a school and some teacher. By 1750, one estimate of male literacy was 75% in Scotland, only 53% in England. And it would not be until the 1880s that the English would catch up to their northern neighbors. It's a remarkable story of Scottish enlightenment fueled by Presbyterian Reformation faith. Our text today is about the interaction between Peter and Cornelius in the longest narrative in Acts. It's a seven-act drama, 66 verses long, and based upon the length alone, we're looking at the pivot point for this book. It's the turning point in the long drama of redemption, a changed perspective for Peter and the early church. And it led to an explosion of evangelism worldwide that goes on today. Today's text is a remarkable and often surprising discovery of the way that God moves in human life to accomplish his purposes. Those who were considered outside were now invited in. Those who were not part of the family are now considered brothers and sisters. Those who were thought to be unclean are now invited to a seat at the table. Like the early Christians, we too may need to learn to see things differently than we expect to see them if we're going to see them from the Lord's perspective. The story of Peter and Cornelius is a story of an expanding vision and prejudice confronted. Cornelius is arguably the first Gentile welcomed into the family of faith, the first non-Jewish family baptized. It's dripping, this story is dripping with political and racial tension. In our time, we face some of the same issues. Listen to this quote. The end of the Cold War has turned out not to be the start of an era of peace, but instead an age of growing tribalism and ethnic and religious conflict. This is according to Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs. Region after region of the world has been reduced to what Thomas Hobbes called the war of every man against every man in which life becomes solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. End quote. 
sadly, there's too many examples of this, but here's one just this week. Perhaps you saw the article in the paper entitled, When Fear of Strangers is Fatal. Lenora Skenazi tells of an incident this summer in India where two dozen innocent people died at the hands of mobs that were convinced they were meeting out justice to kidnappers. One victim was a software engineer beaten to death after giving chocolates to children outside of school. One was a 65-year-old woman who got lost on a trip to temple with her family. She stopped to ask for directions. And all five travelers were stripped and beaten with fists, sticks, and iron rods. The author writes, this is what happens when stranger danger runs rampant. It turns, it turns out that the fear of strangers is more dangerous than strangers themselves. End quote. Apparently, child kidnapping is no small problem in India and Pakistan, but it's leading to a hysteria and stoking parental fears about predators that leads to vengeance and misguided attacks on innocent people. I'm not saying we should be naive about evil in the world. And even recently in the news, there's been reports from the Roman Catholic Church in Pennsylvania. Even in the church, there's brokenness. Even in the church, there's evil. But we can't let hysteria and fear win the day. How do we look at others? Are our lives becoming increasingly solitary, poor, nasty, and brutish? Or is our perspective beginning to change in ways that put us in the world differently, lead us out of our comfort zones, and lead us to embrace that vision for the future that the Enlightenment has given us? Now, Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs was the chief rabbi of the United Hebrew Congregations in London, and he was knighted by the Queen in 2005, and he, he uh, sits in the House of Lords. And he quoted Oxford philosopher John Palamentes, who noted that religious freedom was born in Europe in the 17th century after a dev devastating series of religious wars. All it took was a single shift. And it went something like this. The shift from the belief that faith is the most important thing, therefore everyone should honor the one true faith. That led to a lot of bloodshed. The shift came to the belief that faith is the most important thing. Therefore, everyone should be free to honor his or her own faith. It may be a small shift in thinking, but it leads to vastly different ways of relating to others. And we now seem to be engaged in conflict throughout the world to determine whether the ideas and the values 
of that shift in thinking can endure? Will we continue to build upon the enlightenment that produced so much value in the world? Or are we doomed to retreat into stranger danger and live small and overprotective lives? Imagine just how difficult it must have been for these Jewish Christians raised with the belief that purity was the most important value. They were set apart from the surrounding Gentiles and their filthy ways by their diet and their worship life. And now they had to rethink everything. God was up to something new and breaking barriers of all kinds. And the story of Peter and Cornelius is a story both of the shame and the glory of Christian faith. It's a story that redefines who's in and who's out, who's us and who's them, who's included and who's excluded from the family of God. And I say it's both shame and glory of the Christian faith because the dream that God revealed to Peter has yet to be realized. We persist in dividing the world into us and them along racial and ethnic and national lines. But God seems to be leading us to a different perspective. The early church came to the conclusion rather quickly that the gospel of Christ was not only for those who've been waiting for it among the Jews. The gospel was for everyone everywhere. The old racial and class boundaries, the old national and gender exclusions, the old ways of thinking and structuring the world in terms of us and them went out the window. And a new kind of community began. A new kind of humanity, a new way of relating in the world. And at its best, it has produced remarkable things. When Peter finally found his voice in the midst of all of this, where he passively is watching this vision unfold, he said, I truly understand God shows no partiality. In every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is acceptable is, does what is right is acceptable to God. This summer, several of us we're able to just see how radical the ideas had been in the history of the world. Faith changes your perspective and it leads to education and discovery. It opens up a new way of seeing and interacting in the world. And human life flourishes. So don't let stranger danger turn your life into some solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short life. Who are you going to be in the world? Rather than allowing the world to squeeze you into its own mold, let God remold you from within. Will we continue to believe in those enlightenment ideals that produce such remarkable progress or will we revert to a tribalism that narrows us into us and them? As the psalmist said long ago, 
The earth and the fullness thereof belongs to the Lord. Sometimes all it takes is a changed perspective for a whole new world to open up. Thanks be to God. Amen.